It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. How old are you? It's the Kiss and Solak Show. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kiss and Solak Show. Well, you're flying so high right now. Look at you in the air, almost like a bird, maybe like an eagle. Isn't it relaxing just being among the clouds? Like this is episode 19 of the Kist and Solak Show. It's brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio, a gentler Kist and Solak Show for you today. We're going to take off the analyst hat for the most part. We're going to be talking about some what-if scenarios. I am Michael Kist. You can follow my external work for InsideThePylon.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. As always, of course... The best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and NDTScouting.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike. I appreciated the low-key intro. I appreciated, like, it's draft season. It's opening day for the Phillies. I don't like baseball at all, but I know people are up in a tizzy about it. It's good to a nice, relaxing intro. Everybody can breathe in, breathe out. We need a calming presence right now during this freaking draft season. It's insane. So now, see, we lasted about a minute and 18 seconds, according to my recording. (laughs) We lasted uh, 78 (laughs) seconds until it just all went away. And now it's anxiety and frustration and angst. Welcome back to the Kist and Solak show. So anyway... Today, I got to go on it's something that me and Ben have done. And if you guys want to tweet at these guys, that would be awesome. At Midday 180, their draft analyst competition, both me and Ben were on. You should all at them. Do us a favor at them and tell them who your favorite analysts are. There's 15 people competing. Me and Ben are two of them. I just went on today. Ben Killed started it. off real hot. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I like to be I like to be humble. I think I nailed it though. Midday one eighty on Twitter at them. Let them know who your favorite analysts are. All right, Ben. What we're going to be doing today is we are going to be talking about some different scenarios in the draft, some what ifs, some some predictions on just a general type of thing. We'll throw in some eagle stuff, of course. I, and one of the first questions that I had for you, and I wanna I wanna set this scene for you right now. Okay, I wanna travel back in time for a Step. moment. It's two thousand and three. The Minnesota Vikings are on the clock with the seventh overall. I am pick. six years old. <laughs> they are fielding offers from. Three teams, the Ravens, Patriots, and Jaguars. So nowadays, teams only have 10 minutes to pick in round one. I don't know if Ben is old enough to remember that back in the day, it was 15 minutes per first round pick. (laughs) And despite that, the Vikings were quickly running out of time. They verbally accepted a trade with the Ravens, which would send their seventh overall pick in return for the 10th overall pick, plus a fourth and a sixth rounder. The Ravens wanted to trade up for quarterback Byron Leftwich, but time ran out, meaning that the next team could slide in front of them and pick, which the Panthers did, selecting offensive tackle Jordan Gross. And then the Jaguars quickly selected Byron Leftwich, who the Ravens were trying to trade up for. Everything worked out fine for the Vikings, who took defensive tackle Kevin Williams, who had a long, productive career for them. Uh, but still, they lose that on the fourth and sixth rounder. Not an ideal way to go about the process. Uh, this also happened nearly a decade later when the Ravens couldn't pull off a trade in time sitting at 26. So they dropped down to 27th and ended up picking cornerback Jimmy Smith. Ben, my question to you, good sir. If a team were to let the clock expire on their draft pick this year, the Cleveland who Browns. is that team? <laughs> The Cleveland Browns at number one overall, Mike, at one overall. They'd roll up in to Dallas and not know what they're doing at one overall and let the time expire. No, not actually, though that would be hysterical. I mean, the Cleveland at four is a possibility, I think. I think also the Giants at two. What What's the impetus behind it? It's it's trying to make a trade. It's trying to manufacture a trade, and then all of a sudden, you're, you know, you, you lose track of time, and you've got only, yeah. you know, 20, 30 seconds left, and you can't get it done. You can't get a pick in, and then all of a sudden, it, it, it falls away from you. So any of these positions where you could see a bidding war for a pick, that is to say, you know, potentially at two, uh, you know, with the Giants, that's potentially at four with the Cleveland Browns. Teams looking to move up to get their quarterback. That's the place where you could see it. It's inexcusable for that to happen, and you deserve to be a mockery forever. <laughs> and were it, were it to happen to the Giants, oh, boy, oh, boy, would I be happy. Uh, were it to oh, happen yeah. to the Browns, it would just be another, just another log on the fire, man. Like at this point, like <laughs> you went 0 and 16, second team to ever do it, you won 31 over two seasons. Everything you do becomes a joke. You might as well let the clock expire on a pick as well. Just like it's like the full circle, it's the royal flush of like embarrassing yeah. things you can do as a franchise. Yeah, you bring in John Dorsey, and you're like, all right, this guy is gonna turn this around, and then you draft Sam Darnold, then you get to four and you just crap your pants and right. the fan base You're loses your pants their minds. Your ankles. No, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't anticipate it happening again anytime soon, but still, it's pretty sad that it happened. Okay, my question for you, uh, as far as what ifs, how things might go, I'm going to ask you this one, because we've been talking a little bit about wide receivers recently. Eagles just brought in DJ Moore, uh, wide receiver out of Maryland for a visit. I know you're very big on him. We've got Calvin Ridley, Alabama, who's an excellent prospect, but he's a little bit older. He's not as productive. You've got Cortland Sutton. Well, I know you're a fan of the 2017 tape. 2016 tape left a little bit to be desired. He's a bigger guy, a more of an athletic profile. He's a little more raw. Who is the first wide receiver taken off the board? When do they go off the board? So the Carolina Panthers pick at 24 
they have to give weapons to Cam Newton. I could see teams passing on Calvin Ridley due to some age concerns, and he's not that alpha receiver that everyone is looking for. Apparently, the Panthers were like basically group hugging DJ Moore today, like metaphorically at his pro day. So I think that's the spot. And I think it's a good pick. I think it's a really good pick. And today on Midday 180, they asked me for a comp. And if you know me, you know I hate comparisons. I do not like comparisons. I know people like them. But yeah, it's all subjective to your crazy brain. And my brain doesn't need to be putting out any takes like that. But I said Steve Smith. I think it would be a throwback to him for the Panthers. I don't know if he's going to have the type of career that Steve Smith had. That's a high bar to set, but I think I think that's a good bar to set. Follow-up question for you, Ben. Okay. Does the signing of Mike Wallace preclude the Eagles from taking a wide receiver in round one? No, it doesn't, but they weren't very likely to do that in the first place. I don't think it moves yeah, the needle. I'll put it to you that way. It's a one-year 2.5-ish million-dollar deal. There are actually new details on the contract that I skimmed over today, but I didn't get deep into it. It's like incentives and mm. stuff. So let's call it 2.5. I think it's a little bit different than that. It, it, it's an older guy. It's a speed guy. It's giving you you know some known production. You have Shelton Gibson behind him. You'd like for Shelton to outplay Mike Wallace and just make your life easy this season. Gibson's going to have every opportunity to do that. Wallace is an insurance policy. So I, I don't think they were very likely to go wide receiver in the first round anyway, because if you look at, I think, how the team is built, your primary outside receiver, Alshon Jeffrey, is locked up. Your primary slot receiver is going to be Nelson Aguilar moving forward. Obviously, he's entering contract situations in this upcoming season and in the next season. Uh, but but that's the guy you want primarily in your slot. And then you have your, your game-changing tight end. Really, you need a third wide receiver. He's going to be your number three target. Jeffrey's going to be one. Agler's going to be two from a wide receiver perspective. And then Ertz is already going to be your one of your top two targets. So this, this is the fourth target that you're talking about. There's no reason to put a, a, a first-round pick in there. I don't think Mike Wallace makes it any less likely. Uh, but I still don't envision them doing it. That That... It would be fun. When I look at Philadelphia's situation with their wide receiver core and their tight end core, I see that gap we talked about in kind of the depth, that wide receiver four, that target number four in in the offense. Mm -hmm. And then I also see the gap at tight end two. And to me, I think two birds, one stone. When you talked about who the target number four was in this offense – uh, you know, if you're taking away running back targets, which there weren't, you know, there wasn't one running back that got a ton of targets. It was either Trey Burton or Torrey Smith, right? I think yeah. it was Torrey Smith. And I would, I would argue that Philadelphia would like to make it more of a Trey Burton. He's sort of a guy, right? Like you can go, you can bring in a tight end too. You can play two tight end sets. You can flex Zach Ertz out and leave one tight end inside. And then he can become a secondary receiving option. I think that's an attractive way to kind of, like I said, two birds and one stone this. So. When do the Eagles go tight end, Mike? We're assuming they go tight end because it's, I think, the third biggest need on their roster. When do they go tight end? Yeah, it's interesting to me because I was actually wondering how many tight ends would go in the first round. And you had Mike Gusecki going in the first round in our mock draft show that we had our last show. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. We had a lot of fun doing the first round mock alternating picks. Ben ended up picking Tyrell Crosby for the Eagles. But as far as tight end, if Mike Gusecki is gone, I don't know if I'm sold on taking Dallas Goddard there. And I really like Goddard. I really do. Uh, But to pick a guy that's probably going to play 35% of the snaps in his rookie career, I know OJ Howard and Cameron Brayton, in Tampa Bay, they both had over 50% of the snaps split between them last year. So maybe it's more of a situation like that because Brent Selleck isn't here and you don't trust Billy Brown. Oh, but when do they take a tie? I'm going to go day three. I'm going to go if if they stick with the fourth round 
30th pick, the 32nd pick as well. I think one of those picks is going to be a tight end. And if I had to guess, there are three game, or three names, actually four names, right in that fourth to fifth round area that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Christopher Herndon from Miami, Duran Smythe from Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Dalton Schultz from Stanford, mm-hmm. and Tyler Conklin from Central Michigan. And I think I would like Conklin there because I think he can do, I think he can fill both roles of both run blocking and pass receiving yeah. at a higher level on, on both combined than you would get from any of the guys. Like Smythe is just purely a blocker right now anyway, and he, you have to yeah, project yeah. him as a receiver. Same with Schultz. They, they're both excellent blockers. They would fill that Selick role great, but just as far as getting a little bit more juice from somebody, I really like Conklin. And just as a pure move, I really like Christopher Herndon as well. And he's probably going to fall because he's been off the radar. You, you got to know if the knee is fine and, and all that good stuff. So yeah. I would I would probably go Tyler Conklin day, four, that when, day three. Yeah, when you look at how Philadelphia's approached the tight end class so far, it's been all niche guys on day three, right? We yeah. know they've met with, like you said, Durham Smythe. We know they're super huge on Smythe. Or excuse me, uh, Dalton Schultz. Kid out of Stanford. We know they're super huge on, on Schultz. They have met with Smythe as well. We know they like Smythe also. Uh, they've met with uh, Chris Herndon, kid out of Miami. He's been brought in. They also met with David Wells out of San Diego State. Now, Wells is primarily a blocking guy. A lot of those power concepts. But he's concepts, really good at it. Right, he is. And he's small and good at it, which, like, why? Uh, <laughs> it, he's not – I shouldn't say he's small – I, I expected him to be stronger for 252, which is what he came in yeah. at, right? And so I think that you can make him more powerful, and then really he'd be an impact-blocking tight end. And it's nice. He's a lot of experience pulling and trapping and all that nonsense, which Philadelphia does a lot of with their tight ends, which is good. Mm-hmm. Another name, Mike, quiet, sleeper tight end, all right? 6'5", no, well, here's the thing. He's on the worst Power 5 team. In all of college football. You know what that is? Oh, jeez. They've won three games in the past three seasons. Oh, my God. And they're still in the Power Five? They haven't been replaced by, like, the Gonzaga basketball team? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the thing. When you have have a good enough basketball team to stay in a power conference, Kansas Jayhawks, all right? God's gift to the God's gift to the Big 12. Uh, (laughs) Ben Johnson, sleeper tight end, 6'5", 245. Mike Eagles were there watching his pro day. Apparently, he was very impressive. He's another guy they've seen. And so, he's more of your receiving sort of an option. But the Eagles have – there's a very clear focus on day three tight ends for Philadelphia. I fully Mm. expect them, like you said, uh, 30 and 32 in round four is a possibility. Getting even into round five, round six. Trey Burton was a UDFA, right? These tight ends come in so many different makes and models that you can snag a good value on very, very late. So day three, I expect them to go get a tight end who they try to incorporate as a secondary target in this offense. Yeah, and that goes back to the episode where I talked about all the official visits and what they mean for the Eagles. They are not throwing up smoke screens with these visits and these touches. They mean something. If they are heavy in a position or in a certain niche, you can guarantee that they're going to acquire a player like that. 100%. And, and and it's important to know, I don't think it at all precludes them from drafting a tight end early. I don't think oh, we're looking sure. at all day three tight ends. No, trust me, they're going to do their homework on a Gesicki. They're going to do their homework on, on whatever, you know, a Goddard and on a Mark Andrews and on a Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if they don't eventually bring in Dallas Goddard for a visit, assuming 
Goddard is going to be at some point in this process healthy enough to have a visit because he's been dealing right. with hamstring issues since the senior bowl, which is very frustrating. But what it, what it does show is that they're really rounding out the tight end class. I guarantee you they got guys to Oklahoma to watch Mark Andrews. They got guys to Penn State to watch Mike Gesicki mm-hmm. live, right? They were able to sit with their coaches and talk with them. They've done work on those guys already. Now they're rounding out the gap. So we expect day three because we've seen a big focus on day three tight ends, which leads you to believe that Philadelphia is anticipating they don't get one of the top guys guys but that doesn't mean they're going to completely forego it if one of those top guys drops to them it'll definitely be in the conversation keeping it 100 ben i like it all right ben question for you bring it what is the first wow moment Mm. that's just gonna blow everybody's butts off everyone just like drops everything they're doing and just goes what was that Right. It's interesting because I can tell you like, you know, three wow moments that we all expect that aren't really going to wow us. Like, you know, when the Bills trade up to two with the Giants, it's like Josh Rosen. It's like, that's a wow moment, but it's not really, you know, Uh, and there's, you know, when Saquon Barkley goes fourth overall to the Cleveland Browns, that's going to be a wow moment, but not really. Like we all know that stupid stuff's going to happen. What about something like the Texans didn't, weren't expected to come all the way up to get Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs weren't expected to come all all the way up like maybe right. something like Arizona does that or something like that but what what was what was the moment that you're thinking here's the here's what i think will be the big wow moment this is me planting my flag this is my hot take right we're going to we'll do a lot more hot takes before that but here's what it is Harold Landry's off the board before Bradley Chubb that's Ooh. my wow moment my wow moment is the Indianapolis Ooh. Colts are dumb and don't go edge because they feel like they don't have to Right. They go like, you know, Quentin Nelson would make sense. That's also fine. Right. And then we get to Tampa and Tampa feels like they're decent and they don't need to go get another edge because they already got a couple guys, Vinnie Curry, Jason Pierre-Paul. And then we get to Chicago and Chicago could use an edge and their mold is not Bradley Chubb. Their mold is Harold Landry. Uh, Right. Now, also at the time, Minka Fitzpatrick in this hypothetical is probably still on the board. Uh, both the linebackers are probably still on the board. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith. Those are all big time needs for the Bears. Denzel Ward is another guy who's going to be up there. Jerry Alexander, uh, cornerback at Louisville, cornerback at Ohio State. So there are a bunch of options for the Bears. So Landry would really need to have blown away their coaching staff, their front office, that is. But Harold Landry, a healthy Harold Landry 2017 is likely edge one above Bradley Chubb. Right. And it's because he was unhealthy in 2017 that now we're not positive. Okay. Is he ever going to come back to the same flexibility? Is the ankle going to be a problem for him forever? And that kind of muddies the, the projection, but he's a special talent, Harold Landry is. And I think if a team feels very comfortable with his medicals and they're primarily a three, four sort of stand up edge sort of mold, obviously the lines are blurred. Then Landry should be above Chubb on your board. He's more of a, a hand in the ground, can move inside. Let's not forget, because it's very easy to forget. Chubb is somewhere near 270 pounds, right? Mm. That is a big edge. And so I think that Harold Landry has a very real chance to be off the board before Bradley Chubb. And I think that'll wow a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, the Bears did draft Leonard Floyd, who's that, that skinnier, burstier right. type it's of a, guy. It's a different front office though now, isn't it? Right. Yeah. It is. It is. But yeah, you're pairing, you're pairing two like speed demons right, off right. the edge. That's nasty for sure. It's, a, that's a freaking problem. And then you can't forget, you've got a guys like Eddie Goldman there. Like Eddie Goldman's right. a dangerous interior rusher. That's a good situation okay. for the Bears to be in. Okay. Sticking with kind of wow things, sticking with surprises, in our mock draft, episode 18, Kiss and Select Show, I had the opportunity to give Justin Reed to the Steelers at 28, I believe it was, they need a safety, and instead I went for a little curveball, 
I threw I threw Jesse Bates at them. Jesse Bates the mm. third safety in Wake Forest, young player, high ceiling, a lot of fun, cerebral guy, well rounded. I like him a lot. But most people don't expect Bates to go first round. Most people would pick Reed to be the guy who goes first round. Mike, who is getting into the first round that you think nobody expects will be there? And I want I want nobody. I want nobody thinks he's going to drop in there. Who's who's sneaking into the first round? Would DJ Chark at 29 to the Jaguars shock you? Yes, because DJ Chark <laughs> is not that good. And I know you think he is, but he isn't. I'm not. No, I, I, he's 42 on my board minus quarterback. So he's more like 47, 48. Like, for, you don't take that first round as far as a wide receiver goes. DJ Chark is 77th, 78th on my board. Which is, I mean, that's a good player. That's a, that's a, just outside of what? No, he's inside of round three. So. As a day two player, I have him as a day two player as well, just a little bit closer to that that round one. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people have him that high. I don't think people are expecting that. But uh, what did he run four three six and he's six three? And you're gonna go okay. Well, he can contribute as a vertical threat right away. Will Fuller went what twenty five to the Texans when he came out, and he had terrible, terrible yeah, hands. Yeah, the and hope didn't have is that people body. have learned from that nonsense. You think the NFL ever learns from anything? No, I Do don't. Do you see but what happened? DJ to the Chark in the first round distresses me. <laughs> so that that's gonna be my mo- that's gonna be the player that sneaks into the first for me. You got that's Jesse Bates. I got I'm DJ Chark. I'm proud of you. That was you shot your shot there. I'm proud of you. That was good stuff. <laughs> That's what we got to do. We got to we got to make some sort of bet or 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 something has to someone one of us has to do something stupid because over I don't know though just pre- predicting that the NFL is stupid. We both know that that's the case. I don't think either of us are wrong in that assessment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll 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 figure that out. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? What happens to Orlando Brown's uh, stock after his disastrous combine? Does he go first round? Because I was seeing him mocked in the first round. A yeah. lot, and that would be cool for someone to take him before the Eagles that had a needed tackle because maybe it slides down a guy like Connor Williams a little bit more who you and I both like. What happens to his stock after he ran like uh, the Marshmallow Man or the what's the guy from Ghostbusters? Are you old enough to remember Ghostbusters? I'm old enough to have seen Ghostbusters. I don't know what we're, what you're referring to. The Stay Puff Man. He okay. ran like the Stay Puff Man. There it is. <laughs> what happens to his stock? Orlando Brown, it's very curious. I think there is a, I want to say, like a floor for athleticism and how much it matters for offensive tackles. Like, Orlando Brown being a historically bad athlete at the tackle position marginally affects his draft stock when compared to being just like a below average athlete at the tackle position. You know what I mean? Right. Right? Like, it, uh, it, like obviously, I understand football is a game of inches. But I feel like if you have a guy who's like, you know, the RAS scale, right? He's like a four out of nine, a four out of 10. And then Orlando Brown is like a 0.1 out of 10. Maybe like a, you know, a 3.5, a three. Really, it's, it's a lot of diminishing returns. It doesn't like, you know, it, it, it isn't that huge of a problem. And so for me, Orlando Brown it had day two tape. Orlando Brown is still a day two player. My grading scale automatically factors in athleticism. And so he did get knocked down around 25 places because he had a terrible athleticism score. And it's a part of the grade and there's nothing you can do about that. So would you just put in like a you put in like a zero for his score? Because that's basically um, what it was. No, what I don't did you remember. Do with that? I don't remember. Well, so like because I use RAS for my athleticism score. And it's right. out of 10 and it goes in and it's weighted naturally that way with my other scale of one to seven. And right. he got literally a zero. And I don't know how I feel about that. Like yeah. you're a zero. Athlete? Zero what does implies that mean? you're, you're, you can't move. You are a chair. <laughs> you are a table. Like you, you are inanimate. 
I have like critical factors for each test. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, running back bench press affects the grade far less than running back broad jump, running back vertical jump do. Right. Right. And so, you know, I'm pretty sure he scored like ridiculously low. Yes, but I don't think it was a zero. Uh, the moral of the story is this. A team is going to take him probably round three. Uh, a team is going to try him out at tackle. And he's going to be like fine in the sense that it's not like he's going to show up at camp and everybody's going to be like, well, you can't play tackle. I watched you on the television suck at the combine, right? Like he's going to get a fair shot to win a tackle job. And he had fine to great tape at times in Oklahoma, right? Now, obviously, like big 12 tackles can be a little bit difficult to evaluate sometimes. It's a lot of vertical set. I got to maintain, you know, my spot for one, 1.5 seconds, a lot of three man rushes. So nobody's really threatening your edge. Nobody's really threatening your set foot. And so like, you know, there's, there's, you know, we've had a lot, we've had big 12 tackles or guys who are, who are facing similar defenses, guys with similar responsibilities struggle in the NFL. We've seen this, you know, offensive linemen who come from more traditional pro style of sets do better initially in the NFL, whatever. He's going to get a fair shot. He definitely got pushed down the board. That's what happens when you have a bad combine. But I, I, I fully envision Orlando Brown having an opportunity in his young career, even if it's not year one, to win a tackle job. And then it's his job to win it. And I think that he has the skill set to do so. Day three grade for me translates into starter by year three. And that's what I expect from Orlando Brown. Mm. I expected to knock his stock at the combine. He's going to lose some initial money on his rookie deal as well. Yes. But I still expect him to be able to be a starter at some point in the NFL. Okay. And and with that grade, is that like on a, on a scale of like or potential starter is there like a floor and ceiling to that? Like a starter that you win in spite of or a starter that you win because of? Like, is there something for yeah. that? Or it's just a guy that you are confident that can play at a starter level, whatever whatever that means. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, that terminology and I like the way that's used. I've never incorporated it into my grading system. Simply, you know, I grade on a, a 5.00 to 9.00 scale, which is very common. And then depending on where you fall in that scale, like, you know, if you're round one, the typical tag that I associate with a round one player is highly productive start of year one. The typical tag I associate with a round two player is, you know, um, productive starter year one, right? And then and round three would be high quality backup, you know, productive starter by year three, right? These are just gotcha. like tags to help better understand. But you can easily get into round three players and differentiate. Like, that's just a, a, a wide tag. You know, I have as a round three player. Let me find a good one. Derek Nadi is a round three player for me. Derek Nadi should start day one. And Derek Nadi okay. should be a fine starter day one, right? But he's just a low ceiling player because he's, right. he's a primary a run defender and he has minimal pass rush upside. And his role as, as a one to zero tech is not as valued. So he became a, a round three sort of a guy because that's how his skill set translated in the grading system. So, and then, you know, Marcus Davenport, I'm pretty sure I have as a, it's maybe it's a late two. I think it's an early three. And Davenport represents a huge project who by no means should be starting year one, right? So there's going right. to be variants, right? Th- those are yeah, just like sure. general tags. Those are general tags. I want to ask you this one philadelphia's had a lot of talk about darius geis running back potentially at 32 philadelphia's had a ton of talk about offensive tackle being the biggest weakness uh, of this team that is at least a succession at the left tackle position so i want to know running backs and offensive tackles difficult positions to project in the first round because running backs are so devalued offensive tackles are so valued how many of each go in round one let's say before philadelphia's pick and then we can see what what it, whether or not Philadelphia snags one of them. I think only one goes for a running back. I think it's Saquon Barkley. 
The thing with Geis, and I don't know if you saw this, the Dan Hatman tweet where he yeah, said that he was right. getting texts that, and I, I personally don't uh, endorse tweeting like this as far as the way it was said, saying that Geis could fall into round two. It's it's against everything that I've read about Geis as a human being, the way that he gives back to the community, the type of person that he is, how he spends his free time. All I have a theory. You know my theory? Okay. Remember when there was a conversation around Dalvin Cook? Well, here, here's what I heard from Cook from somebody who spoke like directly to people in Cook's camp. Dalvin wasn't the concern. The people around Dalvin were the concern. Right. And the people with whom Dalvin had grown up, they were the concern. Darius Geis, by all accounts, seems like a pretty studly dude. He's done cool things for like little girls on Christmas. I dig it. Darius Geis' brother has been arrested for murder. And when you are in, talking about a prospect and that's in his family history, you're going to look into that. And come hmm. to understand that. That, that. that that makes sense. That's something you have to do. If you feel as if coming up in that environment and being associated with those people, which like is a, a reach a little bit already, is uh, going to be a detriment to his ability to mature and you're a, a big city urban team and there's going to be a lot of those influences around him, whatever. If you want to talk yourself into that, that's fine. But when I, I, you know, to me that, like I said, it's a bit of a reach, whatever. When I hear this guy's stuff, that's what I think of. I think it's less about him and more about the fact that he's got a rough family history and so that he's been around that for his entire life and teams want to get into what that might mean for Darius and what his history has been and if there's anything that's unreported or unknown, which is reasonable. And then for teams to push him down the board because of that, well, if they found something, then they found something. And if they didn't, then they're just being a little bit spookish and whatever. That's that's fine. You can be spookish if you want. That's Those are my two cents. Yeah, no, and that's that's a great point. And I think when they do check into guys and they look at things just from the stuff that I've heard, that it's going to be fine. I mean, obviously, we don't know everything that goes into that situation, but the kind of young man, they got, and I follow him, you know, I'm a big fan of his, so I follow a lot of the stuff that he does. I follow his social media, I follow what he does. The guy's not out of bars at night, you know, the, the reason he's in the community is to uplift the community, not to hang around with the wrong type of crowd, and he's never been in a bad situation, like you'll find somebody like, I don't know, Odell Beckham is being in, in all these situations now. He's not right. anywhere close to that kind of stuff. He's not in the club. He's on Fortnite. Like, if you have a problem, it's because maybe he plays too much video games like me, and I can totally relate to that. So, <laughs> anyway, I think I think, um, I think think one goes before. Uh, guys may slip. Uh, you know, I'm going to call it two. I, I, think this is, I think this is all a lot of smoke, and maybe people are being manipulated by putting bad information out there to put someone's stock down, which is also a possibility this time of year. The NFL draft is decadent and right. depraved, and that kind of stuff happens. So, I'm going to say that two go. Geis and Barkley, and then that would leave us with a with a chance to get somebody like Sony Michelle. There's Nick Chubb. Uh, there's Rojo, which would be amazing. Ronald Jones from USC. As far as the offensive tackles, I think Connor Williams. I think Colton Miller go first round. I think that's it. And the Colton Miller one makes me laugh. I ben. think McGlinchey goes first round as well. Oh yeah, that's true. McGlinchey going thirty one is what we had, and I actually kind of agree with that pick. Yeah. I mean, T, he's six foot eight and he's nice. Like, that, that's everything you need. And he's super smart, too. He's like a coach on the field. So, yeah, I could see All a right. coach falling in love with that. We record so much that I forget half of the stuff that we say most of the time. So, that's totally believable for me to forget that, you know, there's going to be three taken off the board. So, I'll go three offensive tackles. Ben, that is going to do it for today's show. We are still looking into some guests to bring in next time. However, the next show, we already have a topic. We can share that with you. And I'm going to let that, I'm going to let Ben share that with you, gentle listener. Ben, talk with the uh, gentle listeners and let them know what we got going coming up for the next show. Air appearance. Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> the plan's been confusing. <laughs> Howdy, gentle listeners. Thank you so much for listening into the Kissed and Solak show. As always, I have been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That has been Michael Kissed on Twitter, at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Coming up on Monday, we're excited about this concept. Heirs apparent at key positions for Philadelphia. So talking about whether on the roster or in the draft, guys who fit so snugly behind current starters for Philadelphia, maybe some encumbered veterans, maybe some potentially departing free agents, guys who Philadelphia could snag with a very clear line of succession, a very clear plan for them to ascend onto the starting roster. So we're excited to give you that. That's a good little taste of what we're going to be able to give you outside of draft season which is a better understanding of the full 53 and even eventually 90-man roster for Philadelphia, talking about understanding all of these second-year players, third-year players, guys picked up on the waiver wires, able to give you those personnel perspectives. And so it's kind of a little bit of a crossover, a little bit of a preview of what we can do for you guys moving forward. We're also very excited about Behind the Curtain, which is our video series for $10 and up patrons of BGN Radio. The first episode is up Tyrell Crosby. We alluded to him, offensive tackle out of Oregon. He was my selection for the Eagles at 32 in the mock draft on episode 18. So I broke down some of his tape against Stanford. This is just me watching tape and, and, and describing what I see as I go. It's an excellent opportunity to get a little bit deeper into how we evaluate these players, what it is we're looking for. And then when we say things like, oh, he's, he's more smooth than he is explosive, then you're able to see that. So if you're interested in learning more about player evaluation, if you'd like to better understand these players and how we break them down, please consider becoming a patron for BGN Radio is awesome. It all goes directly back into the staff and into the creation of more and more programs and products just like these. So please consider uh, becoming a patron for BGN Radio and then you'll get access to Behind the Curtain. We are anticipating more and more episodes going up with greater and greater frequency as we approach the draft. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Mike, take it away. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Stretch your hand and I'm going to chop it off. I dare you ask for a favor from your boss's boss. Shrimp, scampi, angel head noodles, white wine sauce. Rwanda and a Ross, reload the Nina Ross. Settle metal when I'm focused on the green Dinero. Hocus Pocus, Gucci Lopez, cake with bacon soda. Cake for soldiers moving weight from Maine to Nova Scotia. Bang revolvers, problem solvers, that and pain the mothers. Lost a child, clips from play when they hear the loud. Nightmares, walking dead cause they sleep in bed. You either sheep or shed, be scared or cut. Custom coops with the honey mustard features. Butterfly doors are hoarded, makes wine or sober. Her beauty stunning, plus she funny. That's-